the Nerd Gospel Podcast, where we talk theology, theophanies, and Thor's hammer needs and love of meads. Okay. Ah, hammer I, I, needs? Yeah, hammer needs and love of meads. I thought he didn't about, have the hammer. Yeah, and he loves mead. He does. I thought about ha- Thor's hairy knees, but it didn't have the same. And it's I'm Heath. Particularly identified. I'm Jeremy. <laughs> Let's get to the news. Yeah, we've never seen his knees, so that's, uh, you know. We've seen them, just not. Never examined them. Right. And Nintendo's NES Classic. Nintendo Entertainment System sure. mm-hmm. was the U.S. best-selling console in June. Isn't that funny? Because it's been so. The NES Classic is a rehashing of the old yeah. NES, and it has games preloaded on it. We own one. My wife and I own one. Awesome, and it's awesome. It's got like all Metroid and so Mario's. Fun. Man, mm. it's so much fun. Mm. Uh, best-selling console in June. That's wild. It beat out the Switch. But it beat uh, out is the Switch new. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's relatively newer, right? New I mean, enough to compete. No, but you know the NES Classic. No, but it's still cool that this old system beat out All right. new system. I mean, that's kind of neat. So, well done, Nintendo. You're rich. Way to go. Way to go. Uh, well done. I, anyways, get one if you can. They're at GameStop. I have one. Mm. Nerdist has an article entitled. I thought this would be fun. Harry Potter's seven most irresponsible teachers at Hogwarts. So Harry Potter himself, the character, because we had to look this up, we were very surprised. He turns 38 years old. Because Today. when it was published, he was like 11, 11 years old. And it was 21 year anniversary, which is still wild. Plus to 11, think, you know, still crazy to think about, right? Yeah. 30, uh, 38, 37, <laughs> which is <laughs> great. 40, 47. Uh, so let's talk about the seven most irresponsible teachers at Hogwarts. This is from Nerdist. We this didn't pick this. So don't get, you know, don't at us. Get mad at them. This year, uh, number seven is Herbology Professor Sprout. Do you remember Professor Sprout? I do. She uh, had the kids pick up mandrakes. Right. And apparently a fully grown mandrake can kill you. Right. So well done, Professor She's like, look, we have to repot them. Yeah, that was odd. And and here's the other thing, too, I started thinking about. Herbology is kind of like algebra, like advanced math. Okay. Because unless you're going to become a herbologist, who's going to use this in the wizard world? You don't see it used. No, you don't. You straight up don't. Like, you don't. Like, even if, if Mrs. Weasley had said, oh, kids, I'm... Growing herbs out in the garden so that we can do this potion or something like that. But every then that's time potion making, when they make potions, they just steal it from right. Hogwarts. Right. So it's like, who uses this? Okay, who uses this? Well, the people making the stuff. That no, you nobody sell uses advanced math unless alley. you're like, yeah, I guess if you're going to go in. But so then it should be elective. So you're in some sort of production. Maybe it is an elective. I don't know. Maybe I'm throwing it all off. Number six is Madame Hooch. Who is the flight instructor? The brooms. That seems kind of dangerous, but it makes sense. But required. That's but her required. Course. Everybody driving, has to be able to fly. Yeah, driving's dangerous. So, so dangerous. So what is your driving instructor a hazard to your... No. Yeah, come on, Nerdist. You know, get over here, Nerdist. Number five. We Yeah, and the other thing too, spoiler alert, Hagrid's not on here. Mm. So let's take Hooch off and let's put Hagrid on. Yeah, one, Hagrid one almost age for another kills the kids age. a lot of times. Many times. Yeah. Like a dragon and stuff. Number five is Professor Lupin. Now I'll, I'll buy this one because he's a werewolf. Yeah, and doesn't have control an, of himself. Yeah, actual werewolf that they hire. Okay, right. they know he's a werewolf. Uh, great teacher now. Oh, yeah. One so should best. we So should we judge him based on what he does it in private? Then what he does... <laughs> Kill people Because in private, he turns into a werewolf and eats things. Eats raw meat, I assume, and I kills guess. things. All right. No, nothing bad ever happens. Yeah, but he... So. Well, you know, whatever stays in the school. Number four is Gilderoy Lockhart, arguably a really bad teacher. Not a good person. Either. He wants to, like, mess with their minds at the end, tries to take their... Not a good person, lies, yeah. steals the other guy's... Stories, vanity. right? Vanity, Pride. yeah. Gilderoy, man, what a, I forget about Gilderoy. Yeah, he's kind of like a should. he's kind of a throwaway number two, right? Isn't he number two? Book number well, two. He's the main Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, but he's the main villain in that one, right? No, well, he's not I mean, a villain. Voldemort we know, don't say the, the name. 
Why oh. would you say the name? Because he who must not be named. Don't I say see that. No name. problem with it. Oh my word, Voldemort. Oh, please. <laughs> I'm gonna edit that out. I'll cut those <laughs> out. I'll put a beep in. Uh, Professor Quirrell, whose head ended up being 50 percent he who must not be named. Right, and Voldemort. No, <laughs> you gotta. Yeah. Woo. Number two, Umbridge. Yeah. She should be honestly number one. I get why she's not, but Umbridge is. I I've never hated a character. She's in a malevolent. Book. Yeah, she's awful. Right. She's awful. Like when when he has to write and it starts cutting into his own skin and mm-hmm. using his. Oh, mm-hmm. Umbridge. That's a lot harder to read than it was to watch in the it, movies. It was much harder. Well, it's a kid's movie. I mean, that, that would be extremely graphic if they did it. Right there. He was like, oh, yeah. my hand. He's like, oh, my hand. I'll put a little antiseptic on it. I'll put some herbs on it <laughs> that I stole some mandrake from her bollage. Some mandrake. Uh, and number one, who do you think? Dumbledore. Yeah. Dumbledore is arguably number one. I agree with this because one, he hires everybody. Well, here's what they say. Here's what you say. They say, Nerdist author says, where do we begin? Where do you begin? Hmm. Albus loves to put children in danger. Very true. Let's an eleven-year-old fight Vold. Uh, he must not be named. Mm, Grooms and trains that same eleven-year-old from birth as a child soldier. That's right, Dumbledore's army. But he knows that he's the only one that can be defeated. I guess. I guess. So is it moral then? Uh, there's yeah, another. He has to give him all these experiences, and he doesn't tell anyone about all the Horcruxes that he must not be named has created. He should probably tell Voldemort. Some about that. <laughs> but worst of all, he's the one who hired every single terrible teacher that we've mentioned on our list, and so many more. That is true. His he must like not look at resumes or how, what's that process look like? What do you think? Like I think he, he calls just knows him, you. He just calls him in the office and he's like, "Hey, right. I know you're a werewolf, but like as long as you keep that, you know, out of the office, he's like, we're I'm, fine. Everything I do is uh, about Harry Potter. Yeah, that's right. I really don't run the school. I'm just yeah. trying to advance the plot. We have the Order of the Phoenix. We'll like, keep that secret." Right, uh, man, Dumbledore, like bless his heart, but yeah, he's a mess. He's dead. In other news, Daredevil season three has confirmed a 2018 Netflix release. I'm pretty jazzed about that because I, I didn't even know that was on the radar. And that was my favorite of all this uh, little miniseries. Well, Punisher, you like Punisher too, didn't you? I did, but then I saw uh, Daredevil. I saw Punisher first. Oh, that's right. You went back, and then I went back and watched Daredevil. And yeah. I actually think I prefer Daredevil. Daredevil's fantastic. It really is good. Yeah, there's some really great stuff. I don't know why I like it though. Anyway, man, he's blind. Uh, Video (laughs) release of Avengers. Yeah, it reminds you of yourself. Uh, Hey, hey! hey! Video release of Avengers: Infinity Wars this uh, week. It's you can like stream it and stuff. Yeah. So, uh, according to Behind the Battle, so we knew that there was going to be a lot of special features, a lot Mm. of new information coming to light. There's a special feature called Behind the Battle, and it was bundled with the home release Avengers: Infinity Wars, nearly fifty. Percent CGI. Yeah. That doesn't really surprise me, to be honest. No, you've got like all these characters that can't be costumed. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Victoria Alonso, who is a producer of Infinity War, she noted that there, it could be a boy. I don't know. uh, Probably a girl. Uh, That they noted that there were 3,000 shots in the film that were actual shots and then 2,900 VFX. Now, does she mean where it's entirely virtual? Uh, well, she she made a point. She says the entire movie is one big CG scene. The environment is CG. The weapons are CG. Every shot is dense in layers. So I think right. she's talking about there were probably 3,000 shots that were done of just physicality and then 2,900 shots that were redone with extra CG stuff. I wonder if they did any like fully live sets where there was yeah. no... I mean, I guess they can have the green I'm screen sure in the background. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure some. But. I guess like the scene at the park with Pepper and... Uh, yeah. And what's his name? Yeah, one-offs, little things like that. Yeah. What's his, what's his name? RDJ? He taught Tony? Tony the Tiger? No. Oh, what are you talking Oh, I don't know. Uh, from Slash Film. This is from SlashFilm.com if you ever followed them. 
And now for something completely different. Lost Monty Python scripts have been discovered in a former member, Michael Palin, this is Sarah Palin's uh, British <laughs> uncle, <laughs> Michael Palin's archives. The scripts originally penned as sketches for the 1975 film Monty Python and the Holy Grail Whoa. were uncovered when Palin donated his private archives to the British Library in London, where they will go on display later this month. So they found all these extra script things that were going to be in the movie. A lot of them were cut out because they they were racially... Or um, just controversial, even at the time. Really, Monty Python stuff. Yeah, this. So one one scene in particular that they talk about in this article was there was a pink knight along with a black knight, and the pink knight would not let him cross the bridge until he kissed him. And at the time, he Michael Palin said at the time there was a lot of homophobia, and it was it wasn't really about like you can't say that. It was more about the awkwardness of it that was funny or something. Hmm. So so they cut that out. Uh, you know, whatever the pink knight. I don't think it would add anything to it. I think that I think it's so iconic the way it, it ended up being. Glad sure. I left it. And there was multiple endings that they had tried different things, but the, they didn't have enough money. So, so if you know the movie, the movie ends with them being arrested, mm-hmm. and that's the that's the end of the movie. But there was a whole different other ending. So, all right, that's all the news uh, for this week. Our main event is going to be this is going to be a, a big Bible episode. Woo. This is going to be a big word. It's called theophany. Mm-hmm. Theophanies. What does that mean? Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about it. Oh, good. So this is Theophanies and the One Above All. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I purchased a super awesome book by this guy named Vern Poitras, Poitras, which is a great name. If you have a name like Vern Poitras, you're going to be a theologian. Like that's just, <laughs> it's in your future. Yep. Uh, entitled, guess what? Theophany. Ooh. Yeah. And I thought it would be really cool to discuss it over maybe like two episodes. Maybe we'll see two or three episodes. Uh, before we do that, however, I want to talk about what a theophany is, so great question. Here's Thank what Poitras deci- describes it as. Okay, He says, theologians have a specialized word to describe the instances when God appears to human beings. A visible manifestation of God within the Old Testament is called a theophany. The word theophany derives from two Greek words, the word for God, which is theos or theos or whatever, however you want to say it, and the word for appearing, which is phaino, which in the passive means appear. So God appears. Mm-hmm. Okay, That is, a theophany is an appearance of God. We can use this word theophany more narrowly or more broadly. In a broader use, it would encompass not only obvious instances describing an appearance of God, or the angel of the Lord, Yahweh, all this stuff, but also appearances that are more veiled, as when God appears in a cloud and no one can see inside that cloud. A broad use would also include appearances of God in the New Testament, including... Poitras says, the appearing of Christ himself. Hmm. In his incarnation, he says, Christ is the permanent theophany of God. Yeah. Which is, uh, I, I like. The permanent appearance. The permanent appearance yep. of Emmanuel God with us. That's right. So that's what a theophany is, or at least how uh, this particular author, I'm sure if you you know parsed it around and looked around, I'm sure multiple people have different definitions. That's great. Yeah. Uh, Vern Poitras describes it. With that in mind, here's what I want to discuss. So I want to talk about God appearing uh, really with nature, We'll start that out with this episode. Okay. So like cloud, thunderstorm, fire, stuff like that. But I also want to talk about something that we, I think we've talked about in the past, but we've never actually gone in depth with it. Yeah. In the Marvel universe, there is a God hmm. figure and he's called the one above all or the one who sits above all or something like that. Right. Hmm. And we never talked about him. And it's really awkward because in the comics, they actually don't talk about him much either. He's very rarely mentioned. Hmm. And he, he's only appeared to my knowledge, like in three comics. He appeared in this one Spider-Man one-off, so a theophany, right, uh-huh. in that universe, of an old man. And uh, Spider-Man's thinking about the death of Uncle Ben or something like that. And he appears as an old homeless man and talks to him and gives him comfort. Or something when maybe Aunt May has uh, cancer or something. How does the comic identify him as the one above all? 
he he says it. He, he says, basically says, "Yeah, I'm says, that's me. I'm the god of you, whatever." You may have heard about me. Uh, and then there's another instance which we'll talk about in a second. But Thanos meets him along with Adam Warlock hmm. because uh, there's a hierarchy in the in the Marvel universe of not only powers but of cosmic beings, like kind of like the like in the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, there's a hierarchy of Iluvatar, however you say it, um, Iluvatar, yeah. if you want to say it like that. Uh, there's all these like angels and the wizards are part of the hierarchy and all right. this whatever stuff. So uh, here's kind of a long read, but it's insightful if you're interested in this. So here's a quote from one of the comics. The one above all says, I am the one above all. I see through many eyes. I build with many hands. They are themselves, but they are also me. I am all powerful. My only weapon is love. The mystery intrigues me. One above all. Okay. Uh, now the one above all is basically the Christian Judeo God. Uh, I think I'm not sure on this. Stan Lee does have faith of some kind hmm. um, because he's written. I mean, he's written characters with really strong morals, and he actually writes in a God character in hmm. the Marvel universe, right? Maybe Steve Ditko, whoever created this up, maybe whoever it was did that. Even in the what movie is it where um, Captain America? Maybe it's Avengers number one. Where he, she says, well, he's a god. And Captain America says, there's only one god, there's only one god, ma'am. And he doesn't dress like, I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that, right? There you go. So there is a god in that universe. Now you could attribute that and go, well, Captain America is talking about our god. Captain America is America. Yeah, America, you know, Christian, whatever. Uh, But technically it's the one above all. So here's a long read, and we'll stop every once in a while because there's a lot of deep geek nerd in this, okay? (laughs) It's going to be delicious if you like it. This is the right place for it. This is the right place for it. Uh, Apparently, he is responsible for the existence of all life in the multiverse. So in the Marvel Universe, there's multiple universes, multiple worlds, multiple Time Earths. Lines. Yeah, multiple right. timelines. And possibly beyond that, okay? Uh, beyond the multiverse, like even the quantum realm, all this stuff. The one above all is the master and sole superior of the cosmic overseer and arbiter known as the Living Tribunal. So the Living Tribunal is like his chief angel. It'd be like his archangel. Okay. And the living tribunal has three heads, one for justice, one for something else. And, and he is the ultimate authority uh, below the one above all. And we know that because he, you know, we'll talk about it in a second, but anyways, his faces are equity. Oh, I have it written down equity, vengeance, and necessity. Hmm. And they are in perfect alignment with one another as it passes judgment. So he is like, if you go to the living tribunal or he shows up, which he does in the comics, and it's always terrifying. Like if he shows up, you know, it's big time news. Okay. Yeah. Uh, when the pregnant Susan Storm, who is Mrs. Fantastic, of course, uh, feared for her husband's possible death at the hands of the all-powerful Silver Surfer, Uatu the Watcher, who's one of the big head guys who watches, he tells her that there is only one being that is truly all-powerful, and that this that his only weapon is love. So it's you know it's of course the God here is all about love, just love. <laughs> During an encounter with the Sorcerer Supreme, Doctor Strange, the cosmic entity Eternity, because Eternity is personified as a human, as a creature, right? Tells Strange, I am, I and my brother Death comprise all of your reality, Mystic. Neither he nor I are God, for God rules all realities, right? When Thor once compared himself and Odin to various other gods and abstract beings in terms of power, he notes, and tis said that a being called the Living Tribunal the final judge hath the power to enforce his will upon any cosmos he doth judge. And tis said his power is supreme in all the multiverse. Even I, son of one of the mightiest of all gods, find it impossible to conceive of such levels of power. And tis a humbling thought to consider how much greater the creator of all universes must be 
than that of all of his creations combined. Mm. Now, let me stop there for a second. In uh, this group on Facebook, this uh, group that we're part of called the Reform Pub, yeah. if you're listening to this, you probably know exactly what we're talking about. Probably. The Reform Pub, uh, there was a picture of Thor posted, and somebody said, is this a second commandment violation? And b- Meaning an image of a god or something to worship, mm. right? Now, let's throw that aside for whatever it is. But we argued, well, Thor himself is not really, in the Marvel Universe, he's not even a god. Right. He's a demigod at best. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I just read that quote from Thor in canon of the comic, he, he knows he's not the, the god. Right. He knows he's, crea- he's created. Any, any of these beings that are created, they're not god. Yeah, he, and he knows the difference. It's and he dies. Like, yeah. Thor can die. The one above all can't die. The living tribunal dies. Actually gets killed later on. By who? We'll talk about that in a second. What in the world? The living tribunal is said to be the representative of one whose might exceeds even eternity. And the omniscient infinity well within death's realm, I love this, I told you it's nerdy, describes the tribunal as the representative of the one who is above all. So they keep referring back, but it's mysterious, right? And I think another comic just shows a hand, like a hand sitting there. Hmm. The tribunal later states, it was eternity who first brought this matter to my attention and whom I ruled in favor of. Laws set forth from above declare that only he may now reverse that decision. Master Order, whilst observing Adam Warlock alongside Lord Chaos, said, And may the supreme will smile on the golden warrior. Warlock later recounts how he was called to judgment by the living tribunal, who he describes as the servant of the one who is above even the gods. So Adam Warlock is actually supposed to be in the MCU coming up. Oh. And if you remember, in the very first Guardians of the Galaxy, there's this weird pod in one of the collector's... Um, collections, uh-huh, right? It's uh-huh. this weird pod thing. Well, in the comics, Adam Warlock is in that. And he's actually part of uh, the Sovereign. Remember the gold people? Yeah. At the very end of, the, of, of Guardians 2, she has that pod and says, him. Remember, you remember that? The mm-hmm, end credits of that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's Adam Warlock inside that pod. Okay. So, there you go. Adam Warlock's extremely powerful. All right. The cosmic cube named Cubic. So in the comics, the co- there are actually cosmic cubes that are sentient. There's, there's so much that you're talking about I know. that I've never I know, heard but of But you're before. just soaking it up. You're like, oh, I love this. <laughs> uh, in, in the comics, the cosmic cubes are actually sentient beings that can come alive. And one of those names, Cubic, obviously. Mm-hmm. On a tour of reality, displaying various higher powers to Cosmos, upon meeting the tribunal, tells her that while it is most supreme power, which can be comprehended, logic would indicate that the tribunal itself is but another servant. But of that, uh, but of what none dare imagine. Uh. So the reason I like all this talk of it is because whoever the one above all is, the God of that universe, they they have respect for it for yeah. Him. Okay, and it's like they're compelled to have that respect because they see all this because other they know stuff that's below Him. Yeah, that's incredible. So yeah, yeah, yeah. In the aftermath of the events of the Infinity Gauntlet, so if you know the story of the Infinity Gauntlet, the Living Tribunal easily undoes all the destruction that an enraged Adam Warlock wreaks at his trial, claiming that I represent forces that dwarf even your might. My authority comes from on high. Hmm. Uh, later on, there's this this boy called the Protege. He claims to be the li- he claims to the Living Tribunal and all other cosmic entities that he is the most powerful being that ever was, and that he will surpass them all and move up. Classic bad guy, right? The Tribunal counters impossible. There is only one above the living tribunal. Later, after the protege declares himself the one above all in an attempt to seize ultimate power, kind of like a Satan type thing, Mm. the tribunal absorbs the protege into himself, proclaiming, your actions and intentions are inexcusable. Make your peace. May the one above all forgive you. Mm. So it all comes back to the one above all. Yeah. It all comes, the one above all, all comes back. Uh, We'll skip. Is he across multiple 
like oh, yeah. storylines. Oh yeah, all because he is like he it's and it's always been in the Marvel universe that he's it. Yeah. He's the guy. Some people have said it's like Stanley who wrote himself in as he's the creator, so he's the one above all. <laughs> um, you know, you don't know. The last little bit here is uh, Thanos in an alternate version of Adam Warlock gained a brief audience with the entity uh, after their reality had been destroyed. It was here revealed that the one above all is also called the above all others. Oh, we're brilliant. He exists beyond time and space and alternates between appearing as male and female. Thanos managed to convince the entity to restore reality in exchange for Adam taking up the empty position of living tribunal and duties of the deceased living tribunal. Uh, so that's just kind of in the Marvel universe. I know there's gods. I know there's uh, celestials, all these super powerful entities, but it's helpful to think about this way because then you know, like, okay, they're all subservient to whatever that is. Right. Right. Uh, and so in our, you know, you know, in our world, uh, you could take it from Paul when he says, you know, everything was placed under the feet of Christ, you know, powers and rulers and authorities, all these things. Nothing can stop the true God, Yahweh. Uh, they don't even hold a candle. None of them have, obviously from the Bible, we know none of them are even nothing It's nothing. Yeah. You know, they're not even worth mentioning. They're fleas, not even fleas, you know. Um, anyway, so that's kind of cool. It's just kind of a cool background. If you like Marvel books, uh, DC, I'm not actually sure. I haven't done a lot of research into DC, but I think it is just a hand, like I said earlier. Hmm. Um, I think that's kind of their idea, like the creator is the god. So, But here it's a real sentient being, this creature of love. Slightly so, off script. Yeah. And and you, it's interesting to think about uh, the author being, the the writer being the one above yeah. all. Like I kind of like that because you've got the, the uh, it breaks down immediately when you think about well, then what is the author doing? Yeah. Uh, but if you think about God as, like, his power is so beyond the characters that he's writing. So, for example, the author. Yeah. yeah when yeah. he writes the most powerful character, that character literally has no power he compared can't, to the author. Yeah, he can't touch him. But all the other characters inside the story are, you know, fully under under the power of this great created being. But then the yeah. creator, like, has all power. There's yeah. no such thing as a created being that could be... Uh, in the realm of power that the creator yeah i love i love that and that's the same thing with like who what can the creation say to the creator what can we do to the author of all creation right who are we to question him or you know he he alone can will and do everything yeah so yeah it's awesome i like that if you can kind of escape the analogy pitfalls exactly there's something there's something uh, really profound there yeah so with that idea of the one above all appearing in his universe, which he barely does, like I said, it's if a writer does that, um, I don't think they like it because it's very quick, like Deus Ex Machina, like mm. he could just show up and change things, whatever. Right. I think it's nice in a season, like in a in a bit where Peter Parker's mourning and he shows up. I think I like that. That's yeah. kind of cool, especially if he's the god of love and you know not justice. But he's and this would be a more deistic god, like he just the one above all sits above all and that's it. Like we would have. God is the one above all, but he's also the God in time who sends his, who is Jesus. Yeah. Right. So we're going to talk about that. And it makes the, and it makes the Bible. So such an interesting piece of literature because you do have God interacting with the world in such a deliberate and, and forthright way Yeah, where that doesn't happen in literature without ruining the story. And then in the Bible, it's him doing that exactly that makes the story something uh, beautiful yeah. and compelling. Yeah, like with a people that he's chosen for himself, binding himself through covenants with a people. Yeah. You know, ah, it's awesome. Yeah. So the first theophany that we're going to talk about and the first theophany that Poitras talks about in his book 
is God appearing in a thunderstorm or with a thunderstorm. A thunderstorm theophany or a thunderstorm appearance is what we would call this, okay? These appearances may or may not take the form of a literal thunderstorm. The point is that there is a cluster of characteristics here. A dark cloud, lightning, thunder, wind. In all theophanies, a clear distinction is in in place between God and creator and the phenomena of creation. God the creator is absolute, like we were talking about. Everything in creation is dependent. There is never any mixing of the two. There is no confusion between creator and his creation. God uses these created things as media through which he manifests himself as creator. That's very important. Yeah. Very important. This is not pantheism. We're not saying, oh, God's in the tree right. and God's, you know, God is the universe. That's not what we're saying. The creation is not the creator. Yeah. When God appears in the thunderstorm, he isn't now a thunderstorm. Yes. He is he's using, a using a thunderstorm as a to, way to reveal himself. Exactly, exactly. So that's very important. So here we have Mount Sinai, the Mount Sinai account. Mm. Okay, now this is absolutely, this is awesome because I read this today and it transported me there. I mean, it's just awesome. So can you read this for us, Jeremy? This is so intense. Yep. So Exodus 19, beginning in verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And then skipping ahead to verse 16. On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. (laughs) Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. I, wow. Right. I mean, that is, yeah, I love this part. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. (laughs) Right. There's, it's so funny. We're recording this in our church and right above where we're recording right now, there's a, um, a class, a Sunday school class that meets Mm. and the title of the class is meeting with God. And every time I pass by that, I think, wow, our church is really great. Like, like, <laughs> like we have a Sunday school class meeting with God. Like, wow, okay. You know, if you want to meet with God, it's right here. Right. Uh, but, but then I, you know, I laughed about that, but that's, that's what we do every Sunday. Yeah. We meet with God. Only in the protection of Christ. Yes, yeah, sir. We have come to see Jesus. Like yeah. we come to read from the word, to meet with God. There's this whole sermon that Piper did one time where he, it's called like the day I heard God's voice or talk, God talked to me. And he's, he's kind of playing with it, teasing it out. But it's literally just him, him talking about when he opened his Bible and read it. Yeah. And that's when God talked to him. I used to think when I was a kid, I thought, man, why doesn't Jesus show up for a press conference? Like, you know, Jay Carney or Sean Spicer and, you know, like the president. Now we have a press conference here. Jesus is here. I guess I'll be taking questions from you. Why doesn't he do that? Or write Genesis one in the stars. Yeah. I was like, he was like, come on, like, let's, let's get some stuff going on here. Let, you know, we need some more answers. Yeah. And I look back and I was like, what a fool I was to think that I needed more than what he's already given me. What, what a foolish thing to think that God's word wasn't sufficient to me. And the Bible says, you know, in the past, he spoke to us through the prophets. Uh, now he's spoken us to it through his word and through his son. What more revelation do you need? 
Uh, and if that wasn't enough, go look outside. Go look up at the stars. Yeah. You know, Paul's like, are you kidding me? You want more? Like, how much more can you get? Like, he's given you creation. He's given you everything. Yeah, and don't forget that if you do believe, that was a complete gift from God as well. Yeah. Like, your, your, faith, your faith is, is a just gift. handed to you complete. Yeah. Man, oh, that Mount Sinai. And so the Lord appears in a cloud. He says, hey, uh, tell the people, do not come up. They will not survive that. <laughs> like, mm. like, if they, I know they're going to be excited about this. The trumpet's blowing. The music's going. Uh, the priests are going to want up here. They got to be clean before they come up here. Like you cannot enter the, my presence or the Lord will break out against or them. it's going to be, or the Lord will break out against you. Like, like he's a bad, you know, Oh man. Oh, it's awesome. Um, other thunderstorm appearances. So we can't go into all of them. Second Samuel 22, eight through 15, Psalm 18, seven through 14, Psalm 29, three, 29 verse three, uh, and seven Psalm 50 verse three, Psalm 68, seven through eight, and a few others yeah, because there's a is lot. Common. Yeah. Now the thing, here's one of the reasons I love this book called Theophany by Voin Poitras. Every chapter he ends, or even every section, he ends by bringing it back to Jesus, mm. by showing us how the Theophany, where God's appearing in the Old Testament, points us to Christ. Yeah. And not a lot of books do that. And he is relentless with it. Like he is every single chapter. It's fantastic. So here is the relation to Christ. Thunderstorm appearances remind us of the seriousness of God's anger and his zeal for justice. This justice was fulfilled on the cross when Christ became our sin bearer for us. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That's 1 Peter 2.24. You can think also of the cross and the darkness that when Jesus is on the cross, the darkness that covers the land, once again that cloud, that thunderstorm of God's wrath being poured out the earthquake that accompanies all of nature is now responding to what's happening on Golgotha. And the curtain of the temple is now torn in two, rent, right? Uh, The thunderstorm appearances in the Old Testament foreshadow the first and the second comings of Christ. So think about the second coming of Christ. Mm -hmm. Christ will appear on what? Coming with the clouds and glory. Mm -hmm. And so when you look up, you know, we'll look up and we'll see the clouds of glory. Unbelievers will look up and see thunderstorms of God's wrath. And so the coming of the clouds will be once again, the thunderstorm will uh, the, you know, the Lord will bring the thunder. So, uh, appearing in fire is the next one. So the first one, thunderstorm, another prevalent theme is fire. Okay. Uh, can you read that part for us? Yep. Uh, there, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So this is Exodus three. Mm-hmm. This is the account of Moses and the burning bush. Um, wow. This is awesome. Yeah. I love this. The He approaches the bush and he has to take off his sandals because mm-hmm. this is holy ground mm-hmm. where he's standing on. Uh, this wonderful image of the bush that is burning but not consumed. Yeah. And so God's, this is a miraculous fire going on. Something's different about this fire, right? right? Uh, the cloud that accompanies the people of Israel is there. It guides them. And then in the wilderness and the pillar of fire by night. So once again, we have this idea of a cloud mm-hmm. and a, a, the appearing of God with his people, accompanying them, guiding them, protecting them, right? Blocking the oppressors and, and standing in the way of the enemies, right? This is Christ. This is Christ standing in the way of taking the wrath taking the punishment for us, right? It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. You can, if you want to see more fire stuff, you can see Exodus 13, 21 through 22, Exodus 14, 19, and Numbers 9, 15 through 23. The presence of God at the top of Mount Sinai is also described as being like a devouring fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so going back to my analogy of my foolish young self, uh, I don't, 
I don't want to go up on the mountain. <laughs> yeah. uh, tell the, tell Heath not to go. I I would not stand before the presence of God. I couldn't do it. Uh, nobody could. Um, and so if it was like a devouring fire, I'm glad there is no press conference. I could not stand before the God of the universe yeah. uh, on my own. So, so thank the Lord. Thank Jesus. I don't have to stand one day before the throne alone. Yeah. Uh, fire comes out from the Lord and consumes the burnt offering in Leviticus 9.24. You see this uh, with Elijah once again, the prophets of Baal. Uh, this is just a wonderful story real quick. If you don't know it, I think we've talked about it in the past, but uh, the prophets of Baal are cutting themselves. There's blood everywhere. It's just a mess, mm-hmm. and they cannot get Baal to light that fire. Right. And maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's doing something else, right? That's what Elijah says. And Elijah says, now it's my turn. Dig us, dig us a trench. Right. Dig a trench around it. Pour water on that baby. Pour water on the pour water pour water. Let's get some water going. Fills up the trench, overflows the trench. Water's everywhere. Boom! Fire consumes it, licks up the water for Pete's sakes. Fire comes down from heaven. From heaven, licks up the water, and then he says, "Now go kill those guys." Boom! And they kill all the prophets of Baal. I mean, it's just absolutely. It's one of. I mean, it's just such an incredible story. That's I think back in First Kings eighteen twenty four. Go read that, man. If you've never read that, go read that. Uh, many, many other examples of fire, of God appearing uh, through fire or through the media of fire, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, fire signifies purification and destruction. In Matthew 3, 11 through 12, John the Baptist says that, uh, I baptize with water, but there's one coming after me uh, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Yeah. And I always uh, tell my youth kids this. I say, if you're baptized with water, you just go forward and if once your hair dries people don't know about it if you're baptized with fire mm. it leaves a permanent mark right and uh, you've been born you've been you know your sin has been killed yeah. now you're born again and so baptize baptism by the holy spirit with fire is a permanent forever sealing of the holy spirit uh, this so once again going to christ christ's fire of judgment burns up the chaff he also purifies believers uh, think of the holy spirit at pentecost what does it appear as tongues of fire yep. right and the last one here is appearing in a cloud. So once again, these are all are kind of connected. You have the thunderstorm, the cloud. Uh, there's a whirlwind, right? Uh, but you know, it says God was not in the whirlwind, and all this stuff going on. Um, so appearing in a cloud. We have mentioned the cloud that accompanied the Israelite people. The cloud at Mount Sinai. If you Google glory cloud, okay, mm-hmm. you can see these stupid videos on YouTube of mostly Pentecostal churches. This was in the news. I think it was maybe Bethel. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus if it's not them. It was one of them that had this glory cloud of like gold glitter. You hear about this? No. Yeah, but they, it was like you could see gold glitter like flying through the air. Oh, in a real cloud. In a gotcha. well, no, no, not in a cloud. In oh. a service. In a church service. Oh. Okay, in the fog from the fog machine, and it's so clearly like man-made. Mm. I mean, what's going on? But they're going, oh, it's the glory cloud, Shekinah glory, right? Yikers! Everything we just read. Do, does that is that what the Old Testament says that you'll see gold glitter in the cloud? No, you can't even go in the cloud. Right, like you can't you can't even survive that. Okay, in the Old Testament, there's one part in First Kings eight ten through eleven where the the priests of God, the consecrated priests of God, they can't even get in the temple because of the cloud. Yeah. They can't even get in. Right. Okay. Um, elsewhere, we see in the New Testament the transfiguration of Jesus, and there's the cloud. That envelops him, and it's such a shock that Peter doesn't know what's going on. He goes, "Let's build tents. Right. <laughs> let's let's set up and let's just live here. Like yeah. this is so good." Okay, um, 
I, I just I can't stand this modern idea that if God shows up, it's just like palling around. Yeah. Like it's just buddy, buddy. Yeah. You know, or these, these visions of a little boy that died and went to heaven. And these are just, it's just foolishness. Yeah. Because nobody stands before the God of the universe and doesn't get their face melted off. Right. Right. Another theophany, which uh, Poitras talks about later on, is just even the radiance of the presence, the glory of God reflecting off Moses's face, he says, is in a broader sense of theophany. It's still God's glory mm. manifesting itself off of his face for Pete's sakes. And the people can't stand it. And the people can't even look at it. They yeah. can't stand it. I mean, you, you, know, you go to Stephen, the stoning of Stephen in the New Testament. He looks up to heaven. He's being stoned. He's being killed. And his face shines like an angel. Yeah. What does that even mean? Right? And so when these people are like, oh, yeah, we had a glory cloud float through our sanctuary. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You'd all be on your knees. You'd all be putting your faces to the ground weeping from your own sin if that happened. Yeah. You wouldn't be sitting there holding your hands up going, oh, yeah, this is, you know, love, good, good, Father. Like, you'd be crying in mercy, okay? He's called out Chris Tomlin. Poor Chris Tomlin. No, no, no. I just, <laughs> that was the first one that came to me. That's my tirade. But do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. If the Lord shows up, Jeremy, the first thing we do is Jeremy and I fall on our face and we just don't move until he tells us to move. And we know that's true because that's what happens every time. Every time. shows up. They fall on their faces. They put their faces in the dirt and they say, you, I'll move when, you, when you're gone because right. I can't look at you, right? The cloud is a reminder of our human limitations with regards to God. We, now we see through a glass darkly. Mm. Uh, God is veiled from us. We can never master him. We can no, not know him exhaustively. He's not our homeboy. Okay, he's not our homeboy. The cloud gives both blessings of rain and judgments of lightning and thunder. And so when we point to Christ, the pillar of cloud and the fire guided the people of Israel. God's with them. Okay, this is not the one above all. This is not the one who sits back. This is not the deistic God who sets the watch in motion and sits back and lets it tick mm. Okay, until it breaks. Uh, in the same way, God is with us now through Christ. Yeah. Christ serves as our guide. He's our protector. He's our judge. He's our high priest. He's with us. Mm. Uh, the cloud veiled God, but now in Christ, we have. He tells us, "You have. If you've seen me, guess you've you've seen the Father." Yeah. Sure. So, so you know, show us the Father. What are you talking about? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yeah. He's working. I'm working. Everything he does, I do. I I cannot not do what he does. Mm. Um, at the same time. So, so Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, but at the same time, in his deity and his union with the Father, he remains unfathomable. So yet, so he is the no, God we can know, and yet at the same time, he is unfathomable. It's this paradox for us because we are so finite. We're just creatures. Mm. Uh, he's not, he is the creator. We are the creature. And so going back to, man, I like that idea. He's the author, and we read now. We're like, we're like, parts of his story that we, you know, we live out this wonderful grand story, this narrative of redemption that we've talked about in the past, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. We get to live out now this story yeah. and we get to like to be parts of it. We get to, he binds himself to us through love and through, it's just wonderful. Like yeah. what a God we serve. Um, and, and Jesus is this, like this centering where all these things that are impossible for us to understand can, can become understandable, but he's also like a protection for us. We talk yeah. about God melting our faces. That's not true. If you come with Christ. Yeah. Uh, you, I think you'll react similarly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but you are no longer in peril where you were in extreme peril. 
apart from Christ, definite peril, we'll say. Yeah. Uh, with Christ, uh, you can come before God and be loved. On the cross, you, you've been shielded. Yeah. All, all of your sin was, was killed on the cross. Yeah. And all the wrath that you deserved was taken upon it. This is double imputation. You, he gets all of our sin. We get all of his righteousness. Which, which is why it's not a yeah. cute tactic to bring it back to Jesus when you preach an Old Testament passage. Yeah. When you preach an Old Testament passage, you bring it back to Jesus because that's actually where our focus naturally We have to look goes. forward. We have to look forward. Yeah. And yeah. If, you, if you preach something and forget Jesus, uh, you haven't done what you set out to do. Yeah. You haven't, you haven't given us anything. You've left us empty yeah. because we're looking at shadows, types and shadows. Yeah. And what a, what a waste when there's a, where there's a, yeah. a fully you, formed you think image about, for us to see. You think about Moses. You know, Moses, you got to come up. You have to mediate. Because if the people come up, they're dead. Mm-hmm. And so Moses acts as that type of Christ, the mediator who takes the glory upon it. He takes the white, you know, his hair is turned white. He takes it upon himself because the people cannot stand to see it, to see God in his presence. And now Christ stands as our mediator between us and God, and now we can come to him. We don't need a priest to come to Jesus. He is our high priest. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't need to be, uh, you know, ceremonially consecrated and all these things of the Old Testament. These are types and shadows because now Christ is all and is in all. And he's healed us, uh, set us yeah. free from our sin. And the types and shadows are descriptive and instructive. So it's not like a waste of time to preach the Old Testament. It's awesome exactly. to preach the Old Testament. But just don't forget that we're, what you really are preaching is Christ because yeah. the so, whole Bible is about him. So just as the clouds symbolize God's heavenly presence, God, Christ is the one who is God and comes down from heaven mm-hmm. to us. Emmanuel, God with us. He is now with us. Uh, and so when, you know, like Paul says, we now we see through a glass darkly. One day we will see and know all, know, know fully who, who he is. Mm-hmm. And never, never exhaustively, but we will know him and we will live with him. Uh, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. That's John 6, 38. Uh, there's, there's so much more to talk about. So Poitras goes on, and we'll talk about this probably in another episode. We'll keep, we'll keep this theme up for another episode or two where mm-hmm. uh, there's the, the Joshua, the warrior that appears to Joshua. Mm. There's the, the one that stands in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's all these uh, wonderful, that was kind of nature, right. but there's all these wonderful like physicality type things. The, the one in Daniel 7, the son of man, the vision that he sees. Yeah. And, uh, all these wonderful other things. You know, he even goes and talks about how visions of the court of heaven are in a sense the theophany because Christ is the ultimate temple and where he is, that's where the presence of God is in itself. And any, even anywhere the presence of God is, that is technically a theophany in Poitras's mind in a broader uh, sense. Yeah. So it's really, it's really a fantastic book. If you have money and you want to pick it up, um, I don't think it's super expensive, but man, it's great. Theophany for Poitras. So we're going to keep going, maybe one or two episodes. Uh, I love talking about this stuff. This is kind of our nerdy, deep theological stuff. Uh, the first part was one above all. That's, that's lame and whatever, but... Um, <laughs> Some people will enjoy it, and it helps put in context the movies and what's going on. Yeah, so maybe it's a weak type or shadow. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, thanks so much for listening to the Nerd Gospel Podcast. If you enjoyed this, we have uh, we're part of a society of reformed podcasters, SORP, as we often have refer we ever to. Talked us. about that? Yeah, oh, a few times. Okay, uh, we end each episode talking about it because we want to uh, talk about our boys, yeah. boys in the society. Um, uh, one we, day, maybe some girls. Who knows who's on the side? It might be coming up. There might be whispers of there war. might be whispers of roar at war, like <laughs> rumors of. Uh, and we actually listen to these other podcasts. We do. We uh, enjoy them. And we don't do that as like homework or something. We do that because we actually like it. Yeah. So you, sh- you probably will too. It's very edifying. Very. So uh, go check that out, societyofreformpodcasters.com. We mm-hmm. own it. We own that link. 
And come awesome. uh, come join us on the Facebook page. If, if you're not on Facebook, open a Facebook account. Just for this. Just for this. We post trailers, really nerd news. Else, uh, we, we can pray for you, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Uh, we've said this in the past multiple times. Jeremy and I are doing this out of, because we uh, view it as a ministry, because we love um, nerdy people, and we love theology. And we want to pray for you and uh, do anything we can to yep. help you out. And we've got walk. a little uh, little network of a few hundred people on there that would uh, yeah. would be happy to pray for you. I exactly, assume. exactly. So, thanks so much for listening. I'm Heath. I'm Jeremy. Stay nerdy.